Good morning. Did you get plenty of sleep last night? That, that extra hour, uh, we feel it this morning, don't we? But uh, stay with me. I think you'll be blessed as we, <clears throat> once again, uh, through March, we're kind of turning our eyes towards the crucifixion and all that that does for us. And we're gonna, this morning we're going to talk about being made new through propitiation. Uh, turn, turn with me your Bibles to 1 John 4.10, and if you want to, you can go ahead and, uh, and find Matthew 26 and put your finger there. We'll be spending a, a good bit of time there as well. So we're explaining, we're examining what, what we might call uh, some big words associated with uh, the crucifixion, with what with Christ's work on the cross and what those big words mean for us and what it means for our salvation, what it means for our daily lives as we walk in Christ. And uh, today, uh, we're looking at propitiation. And unlike last week's word of imputation, propitiation is a biblical word. It's a word that's found in the Scriptures. It's found four times in the Scriptures, and it's all referencing uh, Christ's death on the cross. So 1 John 4.10 says this, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Uh, what I want to do is go ahead and read the other three verses, uh, since there's only three of where, uh, where propitiation uh, comes up in the Scriptures, the actual word. Romans 3.25, talking about Christ, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins Hebrews 2 17 therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. And lastly, 1 John 2, 1. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that, so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. This this term propitiation deals with, with God's wrath for man's sin being poured out upon Christ and being exhausted on Christ so that those who are in Christ don't have a drop of wrath left, but only, uh, only God's favor, only God's love. It's an incredibly important word. In fact, J.I. Packer in his classic work knowing God he says this he says were I asked to focus the New Testament message in three words so he says if I had three words to just give you the focus of the New Testament my proposal would be adoption through propitiation adoption through propitiation and I do not expect ever to meet a richer or more pregnant summary of the gospel than that so I want us to examine propitiation this morning, but I want to do it in kind of a different way. I want to examine it through uh, the lens of the cup of God's wrath that really we find throughout the Old and the New Testament. 
So first we're going to look at man's sin has filled up a cup with God's wrath that must be drank. Okay, man's sin has filled up a cup with God's wrath and it must be drank, every drop. There are many uh, passages in the Old Testament that refer to this cup. There's 15 that refer to the cup of God's wrath. I'm just going to give you a couple of examples. Jeremiah 25, 15, it says, Thus uh, the Lord, the God of Israel, said to me, Take from my hand this cup of wine of wrath and make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. They shall drink and stagger and be crazed because of the sword that I am sending among them. Isaiah 51.17 says this, O Jerusalem, you have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of His wrath, who have drunk to the dregs. Okay, And when the Scriptures say drunk to the dregs, what that is, that's when you come in in, the, in August after mowing okay, for two or three hours and there's a mason jar of sweet tea. That's what you do. You drink it to the dregs. You drink it, it means to the last drop and it says who have drunk to the dregs the bowl the cup of staggering now those are popular in our time we need to realize or we never understand the gospel we must realize that god is a god of wrath that he is a god of justice he's a god who will will punish every single last sin God is absolutely loving, and we talk about how He has loved us, but we will only see that love. We'll talk about His love in just a moment, but we'll only see that love when we see it in, the, in, in front of the backdrop of His wrath. He killed countless individuals in the Scriptures for not understanding His holiness. He wiped out cities. Because there were no righteous people in them. God is a God of wrath, a God of justice. R.C. Sproul says this, A God who is all love, all grace, all mercy, with no sovereignty, with no justice, and no holiness, and no wrath, is no God at all. It's an idol. It's an idol of our own Making, making, make no mistake. God is a God who hates sin, or He's not a good God. If you stood, if you went to the courtroom, and there was some some man who had done something terribly evil to somebody that you loved, and he were to stand before the judge, and the judge were to say, "I'm feeling pretty loving and graceful today. You go out. You you get off." with no punishment whatsoever. How would you feel about that judge? You would want him thrown off the bench. Because he's not a God that loves justice, and God is a God, he's not a judge that, that loves justice, and God is a God who loves justice, and therefore, he must and he will punish sin. You see that every sin adds to the cup of God's wrath. Every sin. Let's give an example from the Old Testament. God's really good to this, to this man named David, right? God's just great to this guy. He, he takes this shepherd boy 
uh, raises him up to be a king, a big warrior king that everyone respected, everyone, everyone loved. And so what does David do? David's out on his rooftop, and he sees uh, Bathsheba bathing. And he says, I want her. And so they send for her, and, and he treated Bathsheba like uh, she was his wife, and she wasn't. Well, what happens is she gets pregnant. And so David's like, uh-oh, it's, it's cover-up time. And so he sends for uh, Bathsheba's husband, who was a great, faithful soldier, just a man out there serving David on the battlefield. And he brought him in. He said, hey, you need, you're such a great guy. You're a great soldier. Come and hang out with your wife for a few days because he wanted to cover this up. And what did this, this great soldier do? I, I can't do this. I can't go be with my wife and... When, when all my men and all my fellow brothers in arms are out on the battlefield, and, and so he, he, he didn't. And so what does David do? He decides, I want, he sends orders for him to be put on the front line, everybody to retreat, and for him to die. Now listen, some of you have a pretty good long list of sins, right? But man, David's adultery, then a murder to cover up that adultery. I'm not sure anyone in this room can compete with that. And so, so God's spoke, spoke person, spokesperson in, in David's life comes to him, Nathan, and says, he tells him a story. Hey, there's, there's a story I want to tell you about this guy, and, and he had this pet lamb. He had this, this, this lamb that he just loved. And then there was this rich guy. He, he had tons of lambs, but he went and took this guy's lamb, and he sacrificed it. And David's like, you show me, tell me where this man is, he should be killed. And what does Nathan say? David, you're that guy. You're him. And it's an amazing thing. Okay, so we have to understand here, you know, we know that God continued to love David. God continued to say some really amazing things about David. We need to understand, just as bold as David's sin was, his repentance was amazing. I mean, if you want to see what, if you, if you sin against God, you want to know how you, you should re respond, go to Psalm 51, and that will tell you how to respond. So he repented. And in his repentance, Nathan says in 2 Samuel 12, 13, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. He also tells him you're going to have some steep consequences, but you're not going to experience the wrath of God. And we need to ask ourselves at this moment, why? Like, how can a just God just let King David, who did this horrible thing, get a pass? I mean, David deserves death right then and there. And he doesn't get it. So where does his deserved wrath go? Did did God just do what our kids do when we tell them to clean the room and just kind of throw the sin under the uh, bed like our kids do their clothes and say, hey, it's not here. It was still there. David did it. No, the wrath for David's sin went into the cup of God's wrath to be poured out. It didn't go away. It was put in a cup of God's wrath to be poured out later when well we'll get to that in just a moment
Also, at the end of the age, there will be a final pouring out of the, the cup of wrath. Revelation 14, 9 through 10 says this. It says, an angel, and the angel speaks. If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger. So the cu- cup of God's wrath is a, is a past, present, and future cup. To be, uh, it's been poured out. Yeah, it will be poured out at the end of time. So what does God do with David's sin, with all this other sin that's been put in this cup? Our sin that's been placed in that cup of wrath? Well, God's love sent Christ to drink the cup of God's wrath through propitiation. Christ knew that he would drink of the cup of God's wrath. Uh, a couple of his disciples at, at one time were, were saying, hey, who's going to be best when we get to heaven? Like, which one of your disciples is going to be the top guy? And Jesus says in Matthew 20, 22, Jesus answered and said, you do not know what you're asking, guys. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? So there's this cup in Christ's future, and he knows it's there. He knows that it's coming. And as the time approached for him to drink it, listen to me, it became very hard for him to deal with. And that's what we see in the garden. Christ's greatest dread was to drink the cup of God's wrath. Look at Christ the night before his death. He and the disciples, they had, they had finished the Passover meal, and they had gone out to the garden. And Matthew 26, verse 37 it says, and taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it be possible, let this, what? Cup. Pass from me, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. So we have Christ in the garden, and he's in absolute agony. Uh, Dr. Luke uh, tells us in his gospel that he sweat as, as great drops of blood. Now that, some people think, well, that just means he, he was sweating profusely as he uh, was in agony thinking about all this, or he was in such agony that blood began to come, be, be forced out of his sweat pores. I don't know, but I know that in that description there is great, great agony. I think we sometimes misinterpret what that agony was about here. It's not simply about the whip. It's not about the crown of thorns, the nails, and the cross. As terrible as crucifixion was, and none of us would want to be crucified, multitudes of people were crucified. In fact, uh, during Nero's time, Christians were crucified and then set on fire to serve as candles for his parties. And many times, crucifixion lasted days instead of hours like it did with Christ. Countless martyrs have endured gruesome 
death and many times in defiant confidence of, of the fact that they were doing what Christ wanted them to do. Yeah, we see in the garden that Christ had great fear of what was coming. It was not that, that he feared the nails that he was in anguish. It was not the crown of thorns that vexed his soul. It was the cup of God's wrath that he was going to have to drink. According to the Gospel of Matthew, he asked three times, God, take it away. I'll look at, at what's about to happen of, of the sin that's about to be, be put on me and this wrath that's about to be poured out from me. And, and God, if there's another way, let's go that way. As terrible as the rated R depiction of the passion of, passion of the Christ was, with all of the blood and gore, the worst aspect on that day was what was unseen of what was going on in, in the cosmic world of, of the Son taking upon Himself our sin and the Father pouring wrath out upon that sin. It's what we don't see that's the worst part. As bad as what we do, we do understand happened. He drank it to the very last drop. And the father could no longer gaze at his son. For the first time ever, the, the, the trinity was divided as the father had to look away from the son who had always been in perfect fellowship, but because of our sin, there had to be wrath poured out upon him. As we sing often, we will never, we will never, never, ever, ever, ever know how much it costs to see my sin upon that cross. And we don't. It was so far beyond whips and nails and crosses and crowns that we can't possibly imagine what was going on in the cosmic aspect of Christ's death. This is what filled Christ's heart with dread. Nails and whips were nothing compared to the cup of, of God's wrath. And and mind you, it was a cup that was filled to the rim. Let's revisit David's sin once more in light of one of our verses on propitiation. Romans 3.25, it says, talking about Christ, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness. Now get this next part. Because in His divine forbearance he had passed over former sins in this moment of god's righteousness uh, in this moment god's righteousness hung in the balance because god had loved and forgiven many sinners okay david and man go look at, Gen at, at at genesis and just look at the the founding fathers of our faith they were messed up and yet god continued to use them. God continued to love them. And that's a problem if those sins are just still hanging out there undealt with, but they were put in the cup of God's wrath. It was filled to the brink with His wrath of not just their sin, but every one of our sins. The wrath that we deserved was placed in that cup. 
Christ drank for us. Make no mistake, God has never and will never look over one sin. He puts it in the cup of His wrath. And it will be poured out. There was a force of, that was a force of wrath and agony that the world has never known and will never know again. And He drank it for us. But the interesting thing happened. So after Jesus asked three times for the cup to be removed, His dread became determination. He walked out of the garden with a fierce determination to drink every cup of the cup of God's wrath. Look at what happens in, in John 18, uh, 11. Uh, Jesus, uh, after, when he's arrested, what does Peter do? Peter pulls out his sword and lops off the uh, guard's ear. And what does Jesus say at that moment? He says, Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Very different, right? Like he had his moment of just dread. This is horrible. What's about to happen? These sins placed upon me. The wrath of my Father, who we, we, we just love and have had this fellowship, is going to be broken for a moment while this wrath, I endure this wrath. But then he walks out and he looks at Peter and says, man, i got to go drink this cup. I'm determined. It's my cup. I asked for it to be taken away. It wasn't, and it's mine, and I'm going to go do what needs to be done. To love man and to show God's righteousness, he's going to drink it to the dregs, to the last drop. I want us to understand something so, so we're clear. There was unity. Okay, understand this. There was unity in the Godhead in both the justice and love we see in the cross. Okay? Uh, don't misunderstand that there was, this was some kind of bad cop, good cop routine. Some, some people treat it, and there's theology out there that says this, that, that man, God the Father is like the Old Testament mean God, and He was determined to destroy us, and, and, and God the, the Son, He came in, and, and uh, He was determined not to let that happen, and so He comes in and, and saves the day. And, and that could not be farther from the truth. It's as if to say that, that God the Father is the wrath God and God the Son's the love God. That's just, that's not. That's bad, terrible theology. I mean, look at our original text, 1 John 4.10. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation of our of our sins and we know countless you know john three sixteen for god so loved the world he sent his son into the world so there was no okay i'm, I'm gonna go down there and, and take care of god the, the father was was totally it was his plan to love us in in this way there was no justice person and love person in the trinity they were unified in their desire for justice and love that would come through the cross Jesus was deeply concerned with upholding the justice of God. The Father was overjoyed at the love they were about to show man, and vice versa. Okay, so understand that. 
And lastly, Christ's propitiation provides us with a very different cup to drink. And that is the cup of God's blessing. It's a cup of forgiveness. Okay, there's another cup in Matthew 26 that's mentioned before the cup of wrath that Christ has to drink. And it was the cup that he shared at the Passover, at the institution of the Lord's Supper, in Matthew 26, 27. It says, And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin." Because Christ had consumed for us that would trust in Christ, since Christ had consumed all the cup of wrath, that cup's replaced by the cup of forgiveness that He pours out so that we might not just have the absence of the wrath of God, but like we talked about last week, we have the absolute pleasure and favor of God. And each time, uh, next week, uh, we remember the Lord's Supper, and each time we do that, that's what this is about, about remembering that this cup, this cup symbolizes the cup of forgiveness that was poured out for me so that I don't have the wrath, the cup of wrath poured out on me. We see that it's a cup of blessing. Psalm 23, one of the most, probably the most popular psalm, mentions this in verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Psalm 16.5 The Lord is my chosen portion in my cup. You hold my lot. Again, it's not just that the cup of wrath has been taken away. It's not just that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's that we have the cup of His blessing. A cup that, as Psalm 23 says, it's overflowing. In the presence of our enemies, that no matter what's happening in our life, we have this overflow of God's blessings and no longer have the overflowing cup of His wrath. And lastly, it's a cup of salvation. Psalm 116 says in verse 12, What... It asks a question, what shall I render to the Lord for all His benefits to me? So the question is, what should I do for God since He's done so much for me? And you would almost expect the next thing that, that the psalmist is going to say is, I'm going to work harder. I'm going to be more moral. I'm going to go witness to some people. I'm going to pay Him back for all that He's done for me. But he answers the question of what shall I render to the Lord for his benefits to me? He actually answers it and says this in verse 13. I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. The greatest thing that you can do to, 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 to bless God, to, to, have, uh, to give God joy, is to simply realize that the cup of wrath has been taken away 
and you've been given the cup of salvation and to constantly say, God, fill me up. Hey, it's, it gets unlimited refills. You ever been to one of those rare restaurants that don't give you unlimited refills? It's just frustrating, right? But God's cup of salvation has unlimited refills, and every day He wants us to, to cry to Him, God, fill me up. Remind me of what You've done. Help me to think about the wrath of uh, the cup of Your wrath that's been taken from me in Christ. Remind me that I have the cup of Your blessing and favor. And help me to live, give me the grace, fill me up with the grace I need to live my life today for you. What a great honor it is to have that cup of wrath exchanged for that cup of blessing from God. Folks, the, the choice is, is quite simple. There are two cups and only two cups that are offered to each of us. Either we will consume the cup of God's wrath and drink every drop for all of eternity. And, and to, to consume that cup, guess what? You don't have to do anything. Just keep living your life. Do what you want to do. Serve no God. Enjoy your sin. Easy. And you'll drink that cup of wrath. And there's another cup before us. When we hear the gospel, we hear the good news of Jesus Christ. We have another cup placed before us, and that is the cup of Christ's blessing. It's purchased for you through the cross, through his work of propitiation. That, that other cup is cast aside, and, and, and the cup of his salvation is offered to you. And to drink that cup, it's pretty simple. It's not hard either. It's to cast yourself absolutely on the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ and what He did on the cross. And to desire to live for Him, to, to repent of your sins, to desire uh, uh, that new life uh, that, that so many of those kids being baptized talked about earlier. These are your two cups. Kind of seems like a no-brainer to me, right? An overflowing cup of God's wrath to be poured out on our sin or an overflowing cup of God's grace, His mercy, His blessing. And one, we don't have to do anything. Just live our lives and we'll receive it. The other, we just simply have to put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and turn to Him. What cup will be yours this morning? Please stand as our musicians come. Let's pray. Dearly Father God, I thank you so much that you're, first of all, a God of justice, that you are a good judge, that you are a wrathful God because it means that you care about holiness and that you're good. But God, I'm so thankful that you offer to us, besides your cup of wrath, God, you offer for us another cup. You offer it through Jesus Christ. And God, I pray that everyone here, God, will know what it is to have the cup of God's favor that's purchased through Jesus Christ. God, convict their heart. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.